0: Welcome to Unfuck Your Brain, the only podcast that teaches you how to use psychology, feminism, and coaching to rewire your brain and get what you want in life. And now here's your host, Harvard Law School grad, feminist rock star, and master coach, Kara Lowenthal. Hello, my chickens. I am super excited for this conversation today. You know that I am constantly talking about Work and how to understand our brains and what they're doing. And of course, I have studied and researched, but also I teach a lot from my experience, what I observe in my own brain and in my students and my clients' brains, and I will defend experiential and decentralized learning <laughs> till my dying day. But it is also super fun and important to understand some of the science behind what I teach. And so today I'm having a conversation with Dr. Carolyn Leaf, who is a neuroscientist and an amazing researcher and writer and author and podcaster and educator who really goes deep into the neurochemistry of thought work and what is actually happening in your brain when you use some of these thought work tools. So Dr. Leaf is a communication pathologist and cognitive neuroscience. She has a master's and a PhD, and she has been researching the mind-brain connection since the 1980s. And she was actually one of the first in her field to study neuroplasticity with what they call directed mind input. So sort of directed, targeted neuroplasticity that you are creating on purpose with what you are trying to teach yourself to think and how to change your thoughts. So she is an incredible resource and a real pioneer in her field. And I am so excited to have her on. She's also the best-selling author of Switch on Your Brain, Think, Learn, Succeed, and many other books. So we had an amazing conversation about the neurochemistry of thought work, and I am so excited for you all to hear it. So without further ado, here we go.
1: Cara, it's so nice to have you back on the podcast. We were just like getting going there before we'd even started. And I was like, we better start the podcast because you're already saying amazing things. And <laughs> we were like, I here's loved- 10 things we could talk about. We're off to the races. Exactly. We already had the podcast before the podcast kind <laughs> of thing. So let's backtrack there and welcome back to my show. And Cara, can you just quickly briefly introduce yourself to those? Most people know you, but just in case, and, yeah. and we'll dive into some great topics. Yeah, it's great to be back. I love when we get to chat. I'm Cara
0: Lowenthal. I'm the host of the Unfuck Your Brain podcast, which is pretty self-explanatory given the name. (laughs) I am a former social justice lawyer, which I mentioned because we're going to be talking some about the kind of internal, external and thought work and changing the world. So I'm a former women's rights and reproductive rights attorney who became a coach. And I call myself a feminist mindset coach. But really what that means is I teach women how to identify how socialization has impacted their brains and then how to rewire their mostly cognitive processes to change the way that they think about themselves so that they can both enjoy their own lives and develop better relationships with themselves and also do whatever work it is they want to do in the world. But I think the thing that sets my work apart is sort of looking at what are the social messages we've received? How do those show Mm -hmm. up in our own thinking? How do we metabolize them so they sound like they're our own voice? where they're just accurate observations of ourselves. And then how do we shift those bit by bit to actually change our thoughts about ourselves? Because my experience when I came to this work was that there was a lot of talking about how we could all like love ourselves or like ourselves or be our own best friend or whatever. And like basically zero explanation of how to do that
1: <laughs> in, in the coaching world, it. the way I found yeah.
0: it. So I that's love why it.
1: I- I love it. And that's such a great angle that you come from and you're so right. I mean, it's one of the things we discussed before we started was, you know, we, there's so much focus on all the things that can go wrong in our life and what we should be doing about ourselves. But how do we actually make those shifts? What are the practical steps? What does it look like? And also the whole concept of it's not just about me, it's about me in the world. You know, and so we've got to play that forward. And the research I've done has really shown that if you are going to become self preoccupied in the attempt to make yourself great, you're going to act. It's counterproductive. So it mm-hmm. is working on yourself, but it's working on yourself with the intent of understanding the impact that you bring to the world and that you have on the world. And then the hu- sort of humanizing of it and the whole link between mind, brain, body. So we're going to dive into a few of those topics today, but you know, let's start with something right off the top. You actually put up a post today. That was today's post. What would happen if we stopped looking outside ourselves to be secure and emphatically decided to root for our damn selves? And then that oh, was yeah, a post by my coach, Jen- Johnson,
0: to give credit where credit is
1: due. What yes, credit. Yeah, yes. there we go. Uh, yeah, uh, Brig Johnson. Okay. Yeah. I just love that because it kind of, as you introduced yourself, it just triggered that. And then you said something similar the other day. I, used to, I mean, you used talk about this all the time. So just talk around. <laughs> well, one
0: track record.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it's excellent. So just let's talk about that. Let's mm-hmm. start in that space. Let's talk about the fact that there is all this advice out there and we are being encouraged to, you know, find ourselves and believe Mm -hmm. in ourselves. And, you know, this is not something new, but what is new is how do you actually do it? What's the translation? What does that look like in real life?
0: Yeah. So I think that's such an important, and I think that's like starting the conversation with where it does make sense to look internally before we talk about how that can go into overdrive, right? So I think There's two things there's sort of, and I think I even talked about this the last time we spoke, like, I think, you know, one of the things that I spent a lot of time teaching about, and I have an episode on my podcast called the thought ladder is like how we can actually incrementally change our thoughts bit by bit. Right. And so I will give the like very brief process that I teach, but I think that was one of the big things that was missing to me when I came to this work was like, I was like, okay, well, if I hate my body and I look in the mirror and I'm supposed to think I'm a beautiful goddess, like I am not getting any, payoff from that. Like it's, you know, I can say any sentence in my mind with human words. Like I can say to myself, the lizard king came from space and rules us all. (laughs) Like I can think that, but there's no, I don't believe that. So there's no emotional connection to it. Right. It's just like saying gobbledygook in my brain. Mm -hmm. And that's what some of those like positive affirmations felt like, because they were so far from what I was experiencing. And, you know, I do think there are some people who are able, (laughs) who are like very disciplined, I guess, and can just repeat a thing they don't believe for like a year and eventually believe it. But I am not like that. I need sooner payoff. And so I really worked out like, what is the like most tiniest step thought I can think that is like a little bit better. Sometimes I joke that this comes from like being Jewish where we're just like, what would be like a tiny bit better than terrible? Like, what can we, and so like. (laughs) going from, I hate my body to I'm an amazing goddess. No. Going from, I hate my stomach to this is a human stomach, right. is like a neutral thought. I have to believe it. It's definitely true. Right. And, but it is, it doesn't feel amazing. I'm not like lit up with self-esteem when I think that, but I'm also not pushing myself further down when I think that, right. It is like bringing me, it's a little less suffering. So I teach these sort of those kinds of cognitive techniques, which I think are really important. But the other thing that I think sometimes what women do, and I see this in the coaching industry so much is it's like, okay, so we come to coaching, we figure out that like we're perfectionists and we want everything to be perfect. And we think that we have to like hustle for our own worth and our own lovability. We have to be perfect to deserve, you know, anything good in the world. And so then this weird thing happens where people get coached that the solution to that is to believe that like, Everything that's happened is perfect because it happened for a reason. And like mm. anything, we are perfect the way we are. And I'm sort of like, that's not the only option. It's like you're collapsing it into like the only solution would be to then brainwash. we are perfect mm-hmm. and the world is perfect as opposed to make and thinking. Yeah. What does it mean to have a relationship with yourself where you can even acknowledge when you have like acted out of alignment with your values or when you mm-hmm. have been like being complicit in some harm? Like, I'm talking into a microphone that, I don't know, I'm pretty sure it wasn't manufactured by somebody who's making $50,000 a year and gets healthcare in a United States union run factory. I mean, maybe it was, Mm -hmm. but probably not. Like I'm complicit in all these huge social systems of oppression and I'm doing my work on them, but how can I have a relationship with myself where I don't have to pretend the world is perfect or believe I'm perfect in order to still have my own back and have a positive relationship with myself. And like, That is the thing I'm obsessed with teaching right now, because I see so many women who are coming through the coaching industry and it's like, what they've been fed is this just a different form of black and white thinking that like feels better, but is actually not open to complexity and nuance.
1: I absolutely 100% agree with you. And it's really fun. to take it from a different angle because I come from the sort of neuroscientific clinical Mm. neuroscience and all that stuff. But it's the same message. It's it's this whole message. We we have to realize that we're human and that we it's okay to. It's it's like Thomas Edison said. It's not that I've failed. It's I've learned a thousand things that don't mm-hmm. work. You know. It's it's are we able to or confident enough to embrace that messiness and actually do something with that and see it's okay. It's okay to I, not you know to have made these mistakes as long as you don't stay there. So we're not talking about staying there obsessively. We're not talking about f- trying to convince ourselves that we are the goddess. We are actually being very realistic about what does that mean in our life and how can we actually change that so you're talking about the whole positive affirmation thing you're quite right I me mean, for years it's, it's it's shifted from oppression to the other swung to the other side of okay, you're amazing and to say all these positive affirmations and a large part of that, you know, just write it down and believe it and it's going to happen And the secret law of attraction. (laughs) I mean, this is the most unscientific stuff and only a few people really, it can put people in a tremendous place of condemnation. What's wrong with me as an individual? And, you know, what have I done wrong? And I'm doing something wrong. Meanwhile, it's not that you've done something wrong. It's just that there's this massive gap in between. As you say, there's a whole lot of little steps in between and why is only that way of doing it the only way? And then coming to affirmations, the cognitive dissonance that occurs. You cannot, I can tell you as a a neuroscientist, there is no ways that you can stand up there and say, even if it's for a year, that I am a goddess and believe that because it's cognitive dissonance. Because the truth is that you believe one thing, I think you saw my little toxic trees, that thought <laughs> of how you see yourself is there. So no matter how many times I try and replace it with I am the goddess, this is still there. So what right. we have to do is we have to embrace that and reconceptualize that. We have to deconstruct yeah. that. And we have to then say, okay, well, what's a realistic version? And that takes time. So the other thing that I love what you said is the time it takes, the teeny little steps in between. And that's where you cannot rewire your mind-brain connection In Mm -hmm. these little positive affirmation daily statements or a quick fix or these five steps and follow the mold of this person or I'll write it down and believe it, it's going to come to me. It is cycles of time. And that's where I've done research showing it cycles of 63 days, which I think we spoke about before Mm -hmm. to build, to automatize something. And it may be multiple. You may need I mean, I've had some patients that took two, three years before they felt that they had this crushing whatever and um, that, you know, destroyed how they were functioning, move into something that was more positive. So I'm just saying That's the science so behind what
0: right because like people yeah. don't talk about how long it can take. And so exactly I think people get fed up and they think it's not working and they hop to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And if you were just stuck with that process in the beginning at the end of three years, you'd be somewhere as opposed to like, well, first I tried this and then I get that. And then I tried that. And then I tried that. Cause like nothing is delivering that quick fix. And I think that exactly. like that expectation that it's supposed to be like, I have somebody in my life right now who sort of is like, is going through these phases where like they, you know, were sort of like begrudgingly doing some self-awareness work or going to therapy. And then they actually had like a huge up-leveling where they got the kind of magic of it. We're like, oh my God, I actually understand what's happening. Whoa. Things are making connections. And then The next day they have like a whole crash of like, wait, but then I'll have to give up who I am. And I don't know if I want to do that. And like all this normal resistance came up and like, that's all normal and part of the process, right? It's not, but like, we are sold this journey. That's like, you just get more and more spiritually evolved as you go, right? Like enlightenment is like the smooth path. That's going to be like, can be fast and easy. And I think again, that's that same, like perfectionism and inability to have any negative emotion or like tolerate any distress or like it's normal. You know, those, all those images are really true. Like the squiggly, well, you know, you think it's going to be a straight line and it's a squiggly line or like, yeah, yeah. The one I always like is I actually have always loved, it's like an elliptical loop image. That's what I always think about. Cause it is like, you go forward yeah. and then you got to go back Echling. and then you go forward over time. You're getting at, you're moving forward. You are making exactly. progress, but I think that point about like sixty three days is like bare
1: minimum if you're
0: super lucky with that one exactly, time exactly
1: like- <laughs> exactly. But Cora, I'll have people who say to me, "Oh my gosh, I can't even think in in sixty three days. I can think in five days." So, okay, well, that's fine. Let's think in five days, but yep. let's see where you add. If you stop after five days, the work you've done for five days pretty much converts to heat energy right. in your brain. So you have a vague memory of maybe I was there, but now you feel worse about yourself because, oh, I did that, but it didn't mm-hmm. work. But did it not work? You know, and the other side as well is we get something called the treatment effect. And I showed in the cycles that we go through and rewiring the mind-brain connection you get this peak around 21 days. And as you build from mm. day five, there's certain days that's like four, seven, 14, 21, 42, 63. There's certain points where these things happen. And day five is where the emotions tend to go like, Hey, why we sort of, mm. oh, this is too much. I can't do this. And it's often there where people will stop. Then mm-hmm. they get to like day 14, for example, where it's okay. Things are now flying. I've got this. I'm fine. But they haven't stabilized anything. And then they get to day 21 and, between 14 and 21, there's generally a lot of revelation that's very overwhelming. So people Mm -hmm. have that massive dip, you know, that cycle going backwards, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's when people think. And so I've had people like in my clinical trials and things, saying things like, oh gosh, I got worse Mm -hmm. I got more depressed as I went through learning how to manage my mind in these little tiny steps. But the difference was because they understood it. They said it was okay. It was a worse depression and anxiety, but it wasn't that I am depressed or emotions are not illnesses. They are messengers. They said, it's different. I'm Mm -hmm. actually feeling depressed because of, so it's progress and that's key. It's And that's what you were saying there as well, that that seeming dip. It still means you've shifted, but we mm-hmm. see that dip and think, oh gosh, we did those five steps. I'm not where that person is on the stage or wherever, you know, the person out there who's saying all these wonderful things, which is, you know, they're also going through their dips, but they don't always tell you about them. But, you know, you haven't gone backwards because every step is progress right. forward.
0: That's so important because part of it is like, I think that that attitude of like, I, you know, it has to be always moving forward is exactly because we like, don't have this compassionate relationship with ourselves or we can mm. like look at it from the outside and be like, yeah, I like that. Of course, of course, it's normal that like, if you start changing a bunch of stuff that you've relied on, you're going to have resistance. You're going to feel worried about it or whatever. Like we're so, I think when we're in like the rush to quote unquote, get better or the rush to change. Right. It's because we think yeah. like, we think it'll be better there. Once I fix my mind, then I won't have to feel human negative emotion. I'll never oh feel bad gosh. about myself. And like, it's just that's, starting, <laughs> yeah, no one is living long enough to get to that. Maybe if we were immortal, our brains would get there, but I still doubt it. So I think that that, like, the constant, like, monitoring of our progress also, right, is this sort of Mm -hmm. very, like, I don't know. There's like something, it feels like industrially about it. It's like efficient. We're like, we're like yes. efficiency consultants or something as opposed to like
1: neoliberalism. I mean, it's the whole thing. Yeah. It's, you've got to be productive. You've got to be, right. So-
0: you've got to be like producing your change on a regular consistent exactly. schedule as opposed to like, you're an animal with like a very big brain trying to make sense of the world. And like, exactly, it's not going to always be a smooth ride. And can you pull back? And I think, you know, for some people they're able to do that with, meditation is effective for some people. They do like different forms of like self-inquiry or inquiry with a practitioner, but like whatever model you're using, because a lot of them I think are doing the same thing. Yeah, It's It's just like getting some perspective on like, oh, well, what would I say to like, when a kid learns a new task, they're not like, oh, I learned to tie my shoes perfectly easily and consistently. And I didn't get frustrated at all. And it wasn't hard. And I didn't ever like screw it up and give up. Like you, when a child is having trouble, you wouldn't scream at them. Like you're so fucking stupid. You got to get better
1: at this right now. Yeah, it's like that's how we talk to ourselves. Exactly, that self critique is is really harsh, and it's because you've got this distorted, I think, perception of what success looks like. When success, yeah. I always get asked that question. I'm sure you do too. When I'm interviewed, what does success look like? I said it's having the peace inside yourself to deal with the ups and downs. So if I'm feeling like I'm having a bad day, or if something's not working in the business or a relationship, you know, one of those dives, I don't see it as going backward. I see it as going forward. So mm-hmm. I can accept that. And and I think when we get to the point where we can accept that sense of peace, that we can accept you know that that we can move forward into resilience. And that's another mm-hmm. thing that I've been working, resilience is such a popular word. So if we really look at what resilience is, we've kind of been sold this philosophy that if you have five traits, these are the traits of resilience people mm-hmm. or seven traits or 12 traits or whatever. And what's it's, super interesting about the resilience research, and it goes to the whole sort of wired for life survival nature that we have as humans to get through stuff. We see that people are a lot more resilient than what they are told in this current day and age we'll be told that if we're so weak we can't cope we just you need all this help you every emotion is like you've got problems meanwhile that's just embrace it find the message and move through it as hard as it is that does grow you and so what's super interesting about resilience is that if you may get through something and you can go and analyze okay i got through this because of x y and z and you learn from that but now the next struggle comes along and the opposite of those actually work you know, mm-hmm. those, those, traits, yeah. you something sometimes different. you need
0: to push and sometimes you need to rest. Sometimes exactly. you need to like, but we, like, we all want there to be one answer. That's like, you know, I always have to do this or I always have to do that. And I think this is like one of the things people are often like, oh, you know, there's so many coaches or there's like, why do we need so many? Or isn't, you know, aren't people all doing the same thing or whatever. And I'm like, people just need totally different approaches. Like when, mm-hmm. you know, everybody is coming from a different place and like what works, amazingly for someone else might not work for you. So like, I mean, the, you know, my teacher, I feel like teaches a lot on like, you got to like get up and get moving and like work hard and all this stuff, which is really necessary for people who have been like sitting in kind of like, you know, I can't do anything. I'm not capable. Like I've mm-hmm, never tried. Mm-hmm, but then mm-hmm. I started to notice like in my students, I was like, whoa, you people need to slow down and like exactly. take a nap. Like, cause you are like, you attract, you know, I attracted people like, who are, like, yeah, highly educated overachievers, like in, who are constantly like striving and doing things and doing things. And their problem is they have to learn like the doing of the things will not bring you peace, will not like make you like yourself, will not like whatever. So when people ask me how I like when I'm defining success, when I'm coaching somebody around this stuff, I am like, if you are nice to yourself, that is literally all I care about. Because mm-hmm. in my, like, I loved it. it's because it's, and it's not self-referential. What people fear is like, if they're nice to themselves, they'll just do nothing, feel good about it, never help anyone else and like sit on the couch. And that's not what happens, right? Which we could talk oh, yes. about. But for me, like, I would much rather that you never do any more thought work again. Don't do anything else I teach but be nice to yourself about not having done it, then like follow everything I teach and beat yourself up the whole time for not doing it well enough. Like that is- that's brilliant. That's
1: absolutely critical. It's like that whole thing of- You know, if you look at what kindness does to you, you know, just being kind—it's the same thing. It's being kind to yourself. It's like the first thing that I used to say that to my patients all the time, and and over the years, in just what I do, I don't coach people directly because it's more indirect. But it's a comment that I make often. It starts, and there's a few people I work with individually, but the first thing I always also say is that, listen, kindness to yourself changes your neural structures. It changes your mind, brain, body. It changes how you. And you, you're not kind to yourself. You're actually going to be mean to other people, and you're going to be reactive, and you're going to be. So it's not self preoccupation. You know, I'm not telling people to. Become self preoccupied because that actually is, as I mentioned already, is when counterproductive. you're nice to yourself, you think a lot less about yourself. I'm always you like busting humble. this bubble. Yes, thank you. People think they become arrogant,
0: you. right? And I'm like, no. It's the more about, Who thinks the most about themselves? Someone extremely self loathing, because when you're self loathing, you're constantly taking inventory of all the shit that's wrong with you and what's not good about you, and like exactly, and then everything you experience, you relate yeah. back to what's wrong with you. People who actually like themselves, like think about, you know, I have a friend I love. I don't like sit around thinking all day about her, but when you hate someone, you're really preoccupied with
1: them and you ruminate on them all the time. And like the same thing's true with yourself. Exactly. That's such a good point because it's really is like that you, and and when you look at all those things that you hate about yourself, it can manifest as trying to, you know, you take the opposite and think, well, if I boast about that, if I get people Mm -hmm. to like me, if I, you know, so someone who's trying so hard, they don't have that sense of kindness and and being nice to yourself. So I totally agree that that is a starting point. And I love how you said it actually makes you less, I don't know what your word was, but in the region of humility, because I always say the test of not being self-preoccupied is humility. Mm-hmm. So if you are if you are loving yourself and being kind to yourself, your, your humility increases and you just become a much nicer person to be around versus if you self-preoccupied, humility goes, you, begin, you get arrogant. Yeah. In,
0: as I think a, we, as was, a we have to like really explain what humility is, right? Because women yeah. and people of color and people in marginalized identities are so socialized to be, humble, which I think is different. Yeah. Like I makes define it. Thank yeah, you. in this us define the difference. Yeah. Like I women often will shit on themselves and call that being humble. Right. Which is like not like humble. say negative. That's not what humble right. <laughs> Humility means like to me, I think of it as almost just like curiosity. It just means like thinking that for me, like that we're all of equal worth and value, that I don't need to be above anyone else and I'm not below anyone else. No one else is above exactly. me either in worth or value. And I don't need to, like, I think to me, humility involves curiosity because I think of it in terms often of just being like, not assuming, you know, everything, not feeling like you're supposed to know everything, not feeling like your ego or worth is dependent on you knowing and being the best and all of these things. So you just are much more like what's happening outside of me. Like what? I don't always have the answer. I don't always know. I don't have to be the best at everything. I'm also not the worst at everything. It just is this sort of like much more kind of, I think, neutral vantage point on the world. But people think that it's like, you know, arrogance is up here thinking you're amazing. And then humility is down here thinking you're terrible. You know, so I always want to just qualify it because I don't want people listening, especially if they live in kind of marginalized identities where yeah. they're told to be humble, to hear it and be like, okay, good. Yeah. So I am
1: terrible and bad. And that's me being humble, which oh is Oh my good gosh. Thing. <laughs> I'm, so, yeah, I'm so glad that you defined that because it's so true because humility is definitely not that. Humility is the ability yeah. to recognize that no one's my competition because I myself am enough. And if I support someone else and I get excited about someone else, I'm actually enhancing myself mm-hmm. and it doesn't detract from me. It's actually enhancing me. So it's being excited and not threatened by others. And, It's rejoicing in oneself to the point where you get excited about others and about taking whatever it is that you bring to the world and lifting others as well as yourself. So it's definitely not you shooting yourself in the foot and I'm so terrible and I'm so bad and all that stuff. It's awful that the word humility is being just, no, no, go ahead.
0: This happens every time we chat. We're like, I know we oh, so it's like get it's so excited. know like, oh, we like. like to one of the things I, I notice it, with I so it. many women will like tell you these really self-critical thoughts, but they don't even know that they're self-criticism. They just think that they're accurately reporting their personality to you, right? Or like, oh being, my gosh, being humble so- or like being realistic about themselves. And Jeez. so, all of that stuff can get so torqued. Like to me, it's when you believe that everyone is equally worthy and that your worth is not tied to your accomplishment or your appearance or whatever else. Then like all the rest of it relaxes, right? It doesn't matter.
1: Yeah. If like they're better at
0: tennis than you or they your sister-in-law makes more money or like whatever. You can enjoy that. You can enjoy it for
1: them because I mean, as soon as you celebrate your sister-in-law making more money or that tennis player who plays better than you or whatever you actually enhance your own brain health and your own intelligence increases. And no one's telling people that except probably you and I and maybe a few <laughs> other people. But it really yeah. does you as a person become much healthier mentally and physically. And you know, so that's like a really good thing. But we but we are in a world that's all about competition. And I'm not anti-competition when it's done correctly. Competition should be more a growth process as opposed to putting someone down so that you can be better. It's like
0: inspiration versus competition. Exactly,
1: inspiration. I always see
0: in my students, like I get more excited about my, like, you know, when I have, let's say coaches who are working in their business and like their thought process. And I don't, you know, I don't only coach coaches, I only teach coaches. I just use this example because it it often strikes me. Like they'll get their first client or make their first $10,000 or whatever. And they're like shitting on themselves. And I'm like, that's a myth. Think about how much money that like I'm so excited for them. And I actually think that's part of why I have been able to create what I've created is that like I worked on being excited for myself and now like I get excited for everybody else. But it's so interesting to me. Yeah. It's it's so interesting to me to see Mm -hmm. that like genuinely I am more excited about their 10000 dollars than they are. are. Because they're just going, well, I was trying to make 20, or I was trying to make a hundred, or I haven't gotten there yet, or so-and-so from my class is doing this, right? (gasps) Whereas I'm like, the way you're going to get there is by being excited about this in any area of your life, right? If you're dating, the way you are going to get to the great relationship you want is by being excited about the dates. Even if you decide not to see the person again, even if they're not the right match, it doesn't mean like just literally date the first person who comes along, but like enjoying and being excited about and looking for the good in the process is how you make yourself better at dating and make it more enjoyable and make yourself Better able to connect to people. And that's how you build up to get that relationship you want. Like shitting on the process in yourself is very hard to find a great relationship when all of your thoughts are, I'm bad and terrible and nobody wants me and dating is horrible and I hate all these people.
1: And that is what's going to come out because that's what's wired right. into your brain, into every cell of your body. It's in your mind, your gravitational field. So you go into that date and that's what pours out. So you're smiling and talking, but what's coming at that person is this contradictory vibe. And that's what your know, non-verbal communication is 50%. What we are thinking is generating 100% impact on that other person. Yeah. And it kind of counters what you're actually physically saying and messes up the whole thing. So it is being as authentic as possible. And that doesn't mean pouring your heart out to every single person on Instagram. It means really really being honest with yourself. Authenticity starts with you being honest with yourself and facing those issues. And that's linked to the humility thing because it actually links to self-confidence as opposed to self-esteem. I definitely found
0: like when I was, before I met my current partner, when I had done a lot, but I'd done, when I was doing all this work on dating, by the end I would go on dates and like the other person at the end would be very confused if I was like, well, this was great, but no, thank you. Cause I had been so. Yeah not in a leading on way, but I had just been myself, but actually happy and charming and excited about it. Cause I was doing that on purpose. And yeah. then, you know, like it was like, they were surprised because people think that it's the other person, but it's not the other person. It's you, like you have to bring that energy into it. And when you are thinking in that way that we're describing, you also can't see, like, if your idea about dating is that's horrible and it doesn't work, then when somebody who actually likes you and is available comes along, you literally won't even be able to perceive it because no. your You're thought is that in- it
1: doesn't work and it's not possible. So if we love ourselves, not in that self-preoccupied sense, but in the yeah. sense that we're describing, there is a perspective that we can look at things with enjoyment. We can look at things differently. Yeah. Yeah, you get that kind of space there, which is amazing. You talk a lot and you you mentioned that, that in the beginning from your background with in the legal side and so on. And this is something that I know we spoke about last time, but it bears repeating because it goes to how women are so harsh and critical on themselves. Mm-hmm. And that is the social norms of what a woman should be and how that's been so wired into society, mm-hmm. you know, black and white and just, you know, women in general. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Cause I know you're a big voice around that.
0: Yeah. So I think that sort of when I came into coaching, I felt like there was a lot of discussion about how, I sort of think this is obviously extremely overly simplified, but it's just sort of help people think about the different levels. Like I felt like sort of, you know, traditional talk therapy, especially that's where we get this idea, which I think is often true that like your early family experiences, your early childhood experiences, right? Impact how you think, how your nervous system is wired, et cetera. Totally true. Then we have coaching was very like, at least the kind of coaching that I liked (laughs) was focused on evolutionary biology, which again, like can get overplayed. And also there's some truth to it. It is useful to understand like when your nervous system is being startled, when you're having a Mm -hmm. threat response, fight Mm -hmm. or fight, all of that is useful. Mm -hmm. But what it felt like there was like nature nurture sort of, but then there wasn't like social nurture, which is, Mm. and obviously some of the things your society believes about people will come in through your family. Like you'll get some of of it there, but that's not the only place, right? So if you grow up in a society in which men are considered smarter than women on general, on average, in a social stereotype, you're not just getting that from your family and your brain is developing beyond just what your family impact is on it and just what biology impact is on it. You are also absorbing messages constantly, right? Explicit and implicit. So, and I think that's part of what's hard for a lot of even younger feminists sometimes to see is like, or to understand how it would impact their brains. Like I didn't grow up in a family where I was told that men were smarter than women. Like I grew up in a Jewish family, very focused on education. Like I was expected to have an amazing career and for, to prioritize that. So, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't matter. I mean, it's not that that doesn't matter. That was helpful, but I'm still living in a world where like most of the CEOs are men and most of the people in the government are men. And most of the brilliant minds on TV are men. And, you know, Mm -hmm. we're having like movies about, you know, men who win Nobel prizes in mathematics and not women. Like we're just getting all that messaging. Right. And so I think that, Some people are not even thinking of or aware of that. And so bringing that into awareness is important. Some people are aware that that's happening. So I came into it as somebody who was very aware of systems of oppression. And by systems of oppression, I just mean a social system in which one group has benefits over another group, right? Or has more power over another group. I was very aware of that. But awareness was not changing my thought process, right? And I think that's because what happens is if what happened was that you woke up every morning and you heard like a male announcer voice in your head be like, women are only worth what they look like. You would relate to it as an intrusive external thing you didn't want to agree with. Mm -hmm. That's not what happens. What happens is you get up and you look in the mirror and you think- I look bloated. I don't look good today. Now I don't feel confident. I'm not Mm. good enough. Maybe I'm not good. Maybe I shouldn't go on this date. They're not going to let you know, right? Like, I mean, it doesn't literally metabolize it obviously, but like as a metaphor, it's like your brain metabolizes all that input and then it comes out in your own voice. So you just think it's true and you just think it's realistic or you just think it's because of your family or whatever else. And so To me, I think like the important piece that had been missing was how do we learn to identify when socialization is impacting our thought process? And then how do we learn to change those thoughts? And sometimes it is, I mean, it's always baby step to thought work, but like sometimes it is the personal stuff you learn from your family or it's like learning to soothe your nervous system, which is kind of a biological issue. But sometimes it's like, oh shit, I see that like, even though I would never consciously say I believe. A woman's appearance is the most important thing about her. I noticed that as I'm getting older, I've started thinking that I'm not important anymore. Like now I got to change that thought. So that is really the core of my work is like, how do we identify that socialization? It's very sneaky because it just sounds like our voice Mm -hmm. and it sounds like believing what like one of the most insidious ways that oppression works on us mentally is, and this like is such a like, this is that intersection between coaching and like changing the world work. So like patriarchy tells us, let's say, you know, it's that women are not good enough. It's harder to get Mm -hmm. ahead as a woman. Mm -hmm. And then when we recognize that like the social structures may be that it's harder to get ahead in certain fields as a woman, Mm -hmm. then we think that to believe we can do it or to tell someone they can do it is being in denial of the social reality. So we get into this weird space where we don't recognize that like, yes, the oppressive system has created some unfairness and we can recognize that that unfairness exists. Mm -hmm. But when we let that unfairness dictate what we think we can accomplish or who we can become, we are actually doing the system's work for it, right? You are Mm -hmm. doing the oppressor's work for the oppressor when you internalize that and believe that. And like, that was the nuance that I felt like was missing. It's not my brand of coaching is not, the world is perfect. My (laughs) brand of coach, I mean, again, like, you know, my grandparents' generation was in the Holocaust. I'm not like, that was great. Perfect. Exactly. And, you know, Viktor Frankl, who was a Holocaust survivor and wrote that book, Man's Search for Meaning is like one Mm -hmm. of my biggest coaching inspirations. exactly, Mm -hmm. Because it's like, this is not frivolous stuff. This is the world is unfair and unequal. There are amazing, beautiful things in the world and there are horrible things in the world. And Mm -hmm. how are we as people, as humans trying to get through this world going to show up to yeah, acknowledge reality. I'm not like, well, if you jump out a window and you believe you can fly, then you will, if you just manifest it, like gravity exists, but how are we going to create that resilience you're talking about? How are we going to create that flexibility? How are we going to create that emotional center inside of us so that we can navigate it? And if we just accept, like recognizing systems of oppression is important, but then sometimes as a former social justice professional, that goes to a black and white extreme place too of like complete structuralism. We're all powerless and you, nobody can do anything about anything on an individual level, right? It's basically like it's revolution or bust. That's it. Like we got to get everybody yeah, total mm-hmm. solidarity for a revolution or nothing will change. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's not true either. So I, now I just went on like a 10 minute tirade, but this is- No, my, no, it's <laughs> excellent. It's
1: excellent. And and my brain's going click, 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 click. And I can see like five yes, hours of five coming things. over here. So no, what you said there is just absolutely- It's fabulous and it's so relevant. And just taking it from the top and then going down, when you talk about how our societal. Immersion has created these thought patterns um, that we believe we don't even realize that they're in us. And what mm-hmm. you try and do is try and say, okay, why do you believe that? Where is that actually coming from? So this is where you know our work crosses over so well. So from a neuroscientific side, is that if you bathe in that immersion as a child in a fa- family, then in culture, then in a society that's telling you this in X, Y, and Z about being a woman or X Y and Z about being black versus white, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera all the different things that we've, that we can talk about. And you're hearing that all the time. Every experience that you have is being processed by your mind into your brain and your body. So in three places, because I love your, you know, your examples of the social thing. That's, that's where I brought this whole thing up because the, those things about what women have been told that they are, that's a bunch of this that we've heard for too long and right. those are being triggered, but we haven't questioned them because they feel so much part of us and they are producing this, feeling of, hey, there's something's wrong here. You know, I'm being held back, which is the conversation we are having in this day and age. Then we need to go back and restructure. And that is a combination of me learning how to deal with what society's done to me, as well as then, and this goes to the point you made earlier on, which is I've come full circle coming back to that point, is how do we translate that into the greater societal yes. good? So you said people, we've either got to have a revolution or nothing, but actually you said something that is so true and close to my heart, which triggered this whole discussion which is it starts with us being kind to ourselves. It starts with us understanding why we are thinking in that way. How can we work on ourselves? And in that way, naturally, we're going to pour out into society. And then you get a groundswell forming, which is what's happened. Look at the difference with women's rights now versus in the 50s. It's taken a long time and it's still got a long way to go. But the groundswell did shift the thing. And you know, racism, it's still got a long way to go, but there is a shift. And so it does take the individual to take make the societal change, that's how, if I read you correctly, I think that's what you're saying. Work on yourself at the same time as also making sure you translate that growth in you back into society. I- yeah,
0: absolutely. I mean, you, any social change has to come from a human mind, right? So it doesn't make any sense. We can only imagine a world currently with the brains that we have. And if our brains are completely infiltrated with the social messaging that we don't want to replicate, then it's going to be very challenging to see the world in a new way, right? The more that we free ourselves of the messages that we've absorbed, the more we can unlock, I think, different creative ways of seeing and solving problems. And that's what it's all about.
1: And that's what that does. So we see what's locked us in and we reconceptualize it to deconstruct and reconstruct to what would work forward. And as we grow that, it has a very quick effect so that's the good side because it sounds so hopeless because how can me as one person or you as one person or the people's lives you touch the people's lives i touch how can we change thousands of years of, of wrong treatment of women for example But because it's coming from the right space, which is that middle of the forest, which is the natural humanity of us is to survive and to love and to share. And it's actually quicker to grow the healthy. So once the good starts, it goes like a wildfire quicker than the negative, even though we don't feel that. Once you get the good stuff going, it it does have a wildfire effect.
0: People have no idea what they're actually (laughs) capable of. I mean, we look at people who have changed the world and we think that they're extraordinarily different from us they're different from us in some way, but a lot of what's different about them is just their thoughts about what's possible and what kind of impact they exactly. can Exactly.
1: Each and every one of us is extraordinary. And that's not too motivational. You can do it Nike kind of message. It is much more realistic in that there is something that you can do that no one else can do. And it is extraordinary. And it's very enhancing. And if we can try and lift that up, and it starts with what you said right in the beginning, being nice to yourself, being gentle and kind. And that starts with you then being able to, okay, this is where this has come from. How can I say that differently? So you shift and then your shift affects your circle. And then that circle keeps growing bigger and bigger. And, and the change happens. I don't know, that's so how I that was see like it.
0: the beautiful, the beautiful conclusion. Yes. A beautiful 100%. conclusion
1: for part two, but part three, four, five, six, probably part a hundred coming, coming up. Yeah, Still coming. So watch the space. Cora, this has been amazing. I love talking to you. So let's do Me this too. again soon. And thank you so much. And watch the space. We'll be back again. The two of us to take these things even deeper. <laughs> Thanks so much. If you're loving what
0: you're learning in the podcast, you have got to come check out The Clutch. The Clutch is the podcast community for all things Unfuck Your Brain. It's where you can get individual help applying the concepts to your own life. It's where you can learn new coaching tools not shared on the podcast that will blow your mind even more. And it's where you can hang out and connect over all things ThoughtWork with other podcast chickens just like you and me. It's my favorite place on earth and it will change your life. I guarantee it come join us at www.unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. That's unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch. I can't wait to see you there.